Episode 69 at Winning at Work. Hello, everybody. I'm Tony Moore. I am your host. Today, I have the president of AeroStream, Jeff Dore. AeroStream is a SaaS or it's a software platform, basically. It helps corporate restaurant operators capitalize on data to better manage their supply chain. We all know supply chains are very cumbersome, loaded with data, lots of different inputs, do you really have full access to everything? I think most people would agree it's chaos. Jeff is striving to be an expert in SaaS. He won't admit that he's an expert. I think he is. He's definitely an expert in supply chain, sales, and food service. And I think this theme really boils down to how do you create a single source of truth that all your operators can rely on to make mission-critical decisions every single day, right? If you had that, how would it impact how you set up your day, what you work on, how do you focus on the 20% of things that are most important? That's what Jeff's life's purpose and mission is to accomplish at AeroStream. I had a great conversation. He goes really deep into food trends, what's happening in food supply chains, how to turn chaos into order, how to create that single source of truth. I hope you guys enjoy this fantastic, in-depth, data-rich conversation as much as I did with Jeff Dore. Jeff, welcome to the program today, sir. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate the invite to do this with you. Well, I appreciate you carving time out. I know you've just finished up a board meeting. I want to give people a little bit of, a, of your background. Uh, this is Jeff Dore. He is the president of AeroStream, and he's been with AeroStream. Now, you, now you're in your eighth year. And, you know, Jeff really kind of positions himself as an expert in uh, food service, supply chain, and particularly within software or software as a service. He has sold, he's helped build and sell four SaaS companies with high, multi, uh, high multiples, but also he is an expert in hiring and scaling high-performance sales teams and incorporating complex sales methodology to enable proven ROI. We, there's so many things that we could talk about today, Jeff, but I really, but before we get into our, our real topic, um, tell us a little bit more about the solution that AeroStream is bringing to the food service world. This is a, it's a fascinating idea. I've been watching you on LinkedIn. Tell us a little bit more about the company and, and what you're striving to fix for the customer. Thanks, Tony. Uh, so AeroStream was founded on helping really the food service industry as a whole. So starting with enabling our brand or operator customers, and a brand and operator for folks that may not be in the food service would be a chain. So you might know it as Arby's, you might know it as Shake Shack, you might know it as Mendocino Farms on the West Coast. Um, so we are enabling our brand and operator customers and distributor partners to improve really their distribution and carbon footprint, providing uh, you know, by providing that intelligence through data. That, that is the premise of how our company was founded. Along the way, as we started to collect this information, we realized there was a much bigger opportunity for not just AeroStream, but really for our customers. And again, in the supply chain, and as, as this 2020 has shown us, the supply chain is a very complex ecosystem. 
And so what we're doing now is not just taking the data on behalf of our customers, but we are working with distributors and suppliers and building a very collaborative network that allows them to take this data uh, within all of their food service supply chain partners and render it into um, you know, decision criteria so that every day when they go in and they look at this information that we're rendering for them, they can decide what's important for me to go do today, right? And so in a nutshell, what Airstream does is we collect data on behalf of our customers. We attribute it, we normalize it, and then we push that into uh, an application that we provide for customers that helps them make day-to-day, you know, critical decisions within their supply chain. So when you're designing this, I'll call it a dashboard because that's how I would think of it if I was, uh, you know, running a restaurant and I needed to see this data. Have I told you, have I given you the information that I think is important for me and on my behalf now you're taking and collecting it? Or do we collaborate and you share with me the trends that you've seen that other firms are using? And then I just say, oh, that's a great idea. Let's go ahead and incorporate that. How does that process work? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. So we use the term turning chaos into order. And so essentially what we are able to do and what we've been able to build with this 20 years of experience is understanding how a supply chain team operates. And a supply chain team can be made up of supply chain individuals, people in distribution, people in marketing, quality assurance teams. And so Every There are multiple data elements within that supply chain that people are having to make decisions on. It could be product inventory at the supplier level. It could be product inventory at a distributor level. It could be have the stores made the right orders. Am I paying the right price that I contracted for? Um, what is the status of the truck that's in route to deliver uh, you know, product to the stores? So when we talk about data, it in- it encompasses all of that. And so we are opening essentially data feeds uh, on behalf of our customers to these distributors. And the distributors are fantastic. They, they give us all of the supply and inventory information. So if you think about the, in, any information that's going out on an invoice and any information that relates to inventory. And so the complexity, that's where the complexity begins, right? So if you think about uh, again, whether you have a 30-unit chain with a single distributor and distribution centers, or if you think about somebody like Subway who has maybe 20-plus distributors and 25,000 stores, each of those have their own elements of complexity. And so what we're doing is we're taking all of that data on their behalf, and then we parse that down, like I said, normalize it, attribute it, and we push it into tiles. And some people call them dashboards. We've actually built a tile application that renders the data in, in, a, in a very easy-to-use system so that when you're looking at these tiles on a day-to-day basis, it, it's telling you, hey, you have an inventory issue that you need to go resolve right now, or you have a price variance that is outstanding for the last week. That means that the contracted price and the sale price is different. You should go resolve that. Um, so in those contexts, we are leading the industry in terms of how we look at leveraging data. But I would tell you that what we have built is hand in hand with our customers. And I think that's what, you know, makes us so special. So we, you know, obviously we had the premise to go build a really interesting and technology that is, is groundbreaking in terms of how it manages the supply chain. 
but ultimately we couldn't have done it without our customers input. Yeah, it's mind blowing when you think about the complexity of all the distributors and all the locations, you know, how does one supply chain team keep up with all the critical data and you've essentially put it in these tiles so they can manage these critical moments and be ready at that moment to solve that problem. And I mean, that's what technology should be giving us is a simplified life. You take the, the comp, what, what did you say? You take turning chaos into order? Is that what you, turning, it sounds like? Yes, turning chaos into order. So, and I did not coin that phrase. Our chief product officer, Bill Maholsky, did. But uh, I love that because it's so simple, but it's ultimately, you know, and it, it's ultimately how we think about things. And listen, we are, you know, we're, we are all preconditioned uh, because of our smartphones, right? So we now pull that consumer expectation into our B2B expectation. And I would say to take it a step further, the way the industry has evolved is, you know, food service has been around a long time. Um, and, you know, we have customers that have been in business for 50, 60, 70 years. And with that evolution, um, some of the folks that have been in supply chain start to filter out, retire, move on. So there's actually a, a really interesting thing that has happened over the past five years, and that is we are seeing a new generation of food service people coming in. And it's great to see that because they're coming in from different industries. Um, what is also interesting, though, is they have an expectation now that that data is going to be rendered for them. I think the days of managing through Excel spreadsheets and you know on paper and keeping things in your head uh, those days are long gone. And I, what I would say is, you know, certainly last year in 2020, uh, what happened really exacerbated that because you ultimately had teams that had been working together for many years in a single office, um, seeing each other day to day. And then literally within, we, as we all know, three to four days, massive things, you know, massive chains started closing down. Uh, distribution opportunity uh, network started closing down, suppliers started closing down, and everybody went to a distributed work environment, right? So that really just put an exclamation point on the reliance on data, intelligence, um, and being connected, right? Being connected outside of um, somebody's office versus being connected through data and a network. Well, you touched on a, a trend, and that is the expectation of the user. We're very familiar with the what they call the user experience or the UX. I see a lot of hiring for UX just because the consumers want to see data delivered in a certain way. So that's what I think you're talking about is that they want that data rendered in a format that they're used to, right? Because they're just used to spending time on their phones and seeing how everything is kind of delivered at that point. What other trends are occurring right now happening in food service and or kind of supply chain technology? Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good question. So I, I would say, look, I will caveat and say all of our customers experienced a traumatic year last year, right? And some have rebounded very well and grew their footprint in sales, and some are actually still rebounding. Um, I would say the positives that have come out of 2020 is that, you know, those teams are operating with more efficiency now. Um, I think there's pros and cons to that because you're tethered to work probably now more than ever. Um, but I would say that global crisis, it did force a lot of different strategies 
strategy decisions, if you think about it. And that's, you know, and I can apply a lot of these to not just food service, but I think, you know, globally, whether you're talking about lumber or building products or uh, vehicles. And I actually listened to a podcast the other day that was talking about uh, somebody that had ordered a caster for a pool table and it took them four months to get, right? So I think what's interesting is the pandemic has highlighted the need for supply chain and how important that is, um, but also the need for data. So some of the trends that, that we see is, and I would say first and foremost, is collaboration and you know data and data sharing. Um, because again, I think the days of walking down the hall saying, hey, Jeff, can you run me a report are gone. You know, now I, the, the trends that are happening are impacting those day-to-day decisions around how you use data and what data is telling you. Um, I think the most obvious one that we see is, you know, most companies right now they're experiencing, including ours, right, is the, you know, the work from home option. There's a lot of debate going on in the news. I think, you know, there are some firms in New York that are saying, hey, we want everybody to come back to work. I think Apple's doing it. Google's doing it. Um, we were fortunate here at Aerosframe that we'd already actually had a model in place where we practiced the work from home a few times a year. Uh, just being a SaaS-based company, it seems something that was very normal for us, for us to have a, you know, kind of a digitized network and to have people be able to work remote. So when the pandemic hit, we were well set up for that. So we didn't see any blips in terms of how we were operating with our customers. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of people now that are thinking, do I really need to get on an airplane to go for a two-hour meeting? So one of the trends is, I think the pandemic in, in 2020 has helped prioritize which are the right meetings to attend. Um, having said that, listen, I think you absolutely always need to continue to conduct business face-to-face. I mean, I would think if you polled everybody, I would be surprised if nine out of 10 people didn't say they were tired of the Zoom meetings, right? Um, you're tethered to a desk, uh, you're staring at a computer screen all day, and humans need to interact with other humans in a very social way, uh, which is why food service is so great. So I think that is a trend that's going to happen. I think we're going to see more companies allowing people flexibility to work from home one or two days a week. They're going to have alternating, you know, work days. But I do think we're going to see, you know, companies start to come back together saying, look, we want people to be in the office two or three days a week. Um, and obviously, there's some companies that applies more to than others. Uh, specific to our industry, um, in terms of trends that we see, it's how customers want to see data, right? I think, again, as, as you and I have been talking about for the last 10 minutes, that's, that is something that is becoming um, even more of an expectation. So we've spent years working on how to render you know, decision matrix data in a format that really highlights the areas of supply chain that people need to go address immediately. So we want our customers to start their day in AeroStream. So we've made you know, we've made our application so that our customers trust or rely on that data and directional analytics to help them solve those day-to-day supply chain issues. We continue, though, have to figure out how to put that data to work. I think that's a trend that was, again, just an exclamation point from last year was data, information, and intelligence at your fingertips, more critical than ever. Um, another trend that we're seeing, just a couple of interesting tidbits about our industry and for those of you that don't know, you know, there are um, a lot of uh, companies out there, operators that have had, you know, single source supplier models for some of them in place for 30, 40, 50 years. And as we saw, everybody in the supply chain was impacted, whether you're a shipping company, whether you're a supplying company, uh, uh, you know, like chicken supplier, or beef supplier or 
um, carry, you know, think about bags or container suppliers, right? Or PPE suppliers. All of those had challenges last year. And then that has a trickle down effect to the distributors and it has a trickle down effect to the operators. Um, so I think that's an interesting trend that we're seeing now is on top of the being more collaborative with your information, it is having a multi-supplier approach. So specifically to our industry, we're seeing operators now that are building out relationships to have alternate suppliers in the supply chain to ensure that you know people aren't running out of product because that obviously affects the end customer. Um, I would say another couple interesting trends are menus are starting to expend, expend uh, expand back out. Uh, there was an initial trend and in thought that menus would get lean, which some of them still are. But what's really interesting is now we're seeing operators take advantage of the opportunity to get new customers into their stores, right, with new menu items. So if you think about it, a lot of brands closed their operations down. They started doing only drive-through. The ones that were set up for drive-through had a lot of good success. So they're actually now testing, hey, this is an opportunity for us to go actually get an entirely new consumer base. Um, so I think that's a fascinating thing that's happening. Um, there's large kitchen chains that are starting virtual concepts, right? So I think that was something that was starting. We were seeing a cusp of ha starting to happen pre-COVID. But after 2020, um, you know, ghost kitchens are in virtual concepts are happening within brands that are well known. And I think that's a fascinating trend and certainly going to be part of the part of the picture in the landscape moving future. Um, we're also seeing that store layouts and guest experiences obviously are going to impact how new units are built, right? So everybody is now thinking about um, not just, you know, I don't think, I don't personally believe that people are thinking we're going to have a 2020 happen again anytime soon, but I think it's highlighted how you can be operationally efficient um, and satisfy customer needs at the same time, right? Not everybody at this point wants to go back into a restaurant. People are content with going through drive-throughs, right? So I think there's a lot of strategies that are going on and how to move customers faster through a store. Um, you know, delivery programs are a big thing. We see those continue to grow. And I continue to hear that, you know, almost anyone under the age of 25, right, has food delivered these days. So I think all those trends are going to just start to manifest themselves for the next 10 months. Now, having said that, I'll, let me finish up with, we're also seeing the dining experience actually picking up. So we we benchmark and look across all of our customers. We've got over 250 customer brands that are leveraging our technology today. And so we're always benchmarking and looking for sales and volume trends and, and what's going on with each, with each brand. We actually are seeing the dining experience picking up and that's coming back at a rapid pace. It is clear that there's pent up demand and people want to get back out and start socializing. And where do people do it? They do it in restaurants, right? It's, it's a great place to eat, share, get together, um, and the experiences are, are, for the most part, always positive when people are walking out of there. So those are some really interesting trends that we're starting to see in terms of you know things coming back. Some of the other people I've talked to, I've heard that there's a trend for transparency in where food is sourced. Is that something that you're hearing with any of your brands that the customer is asking for? Just where was something sourced? Because you've got all the data. You might be able to mm -hmm. show specifically where, where food is coming from. Sure. I think, yeah, listen, I think that trends, you know, that is something that continues to be a, a, I wouldn't even say that a trend. I mean, I think that's more of an expectation. Um, we've certainly seen that over the past five or six years of where products are sourced. And we have, you know, obviously 
a lot of our customers are hyper-focused on that and absolutely being transparent on that. So um, I think the, you know, I can give an example. I was in a restaurant. Uh, this was pre-COVID, but they, it was a seafood restaurant. And they have a little flag in the, you know, in your piece of fish and you can actually scan that with your phone. And it tells you when the fish was caught, what area it was caught in, and, you know, the, the name of the boat, for example, that the particular fish was caught in. Um, so I think that that's a interesting component that certainly is going to start to prevail, I think, over the next few years of, you know, where, where was it sourced? Was it, were the, you know, were the products mainly sourced? Are there green initiatives going on within the companies that are delivering these? And I think every, you know, for for the most part, as, as far as we can see and what we know, we're talking with our suppliers and our distributors and our customers. Everybody is is thinking towards that. It's all around the environment, the ecosystem. Um, ultimately, how do we save the planet in in ways that don't interfere with our experiences and what we expect from food? But certainly, there are a lot of better ways to operate. Yeah, you're really operating right in the middle of, I like what you said, it's an expectation. It's not really a trend. Now, one of the things I mentioned at the at the top of the podcast was your, I know you, you I called you an expert and, and you said, you know, you're, you're still learning every day. And of, of course, that's frankly what, that's one of the traits of a, of an expert <laughs> is that they continue to learn and, you know, they never stop. You, you never reach the top. But I want to talk a little bit about the the culture that you've created there at AeroStream because you are selling a complex product. And I'd, I'd like for you to kind of share some of your philosophies around just building this sophisticated sales team that's capable of expressing and taking the C-suite through this whole sales process. Sure. Um, yeah, no, that's a... It, it continues to be something that evolves uh, every day, right? And I think it starts with um, uh, a vision uh, in terms of where we started 20 years ago. Like I said, we had a vision, and as we've evolved the company, um, we realized there was a an interesting opportunity to take this information and uh, make it really a single source of truth uh, so that not just our operator customers, but our distributor partners and supplier partners could also leverage those components. So if you think about um, how we sell that, we align ultimately what the supply chain challenges, opportunities, uh, efficiency gains, um, you know, collaboration opportunities. So we look at, you know, really those buckets of value and align our solution to it. And so if you think back just seven years ago when we launched what we call our tiles, it was very focused around some specific things within um, a customer supply chain suite, right? It was, you know, what is my total spend across my supply chain? Because as we've discussed, supply chains are very complex, right? So if you just want to see a chicken filet and you want to know how much did I buy last quarter, um, but you have, you know, 27 distribution centers and 67 suppliers, you want to be able to understand that and render that data very quickly. So um, we align, we start with aligning the value that we deliver against the challenges and opportunities that our customers need. And again, we do that very hand in hand with our customers. So when we go to market with a new tile, 
um, we actually do alpha testing and beta testing with a handful of customers, right? So when customers come on board and they join our network, we actually have an expectation that at some point they're going to participate in helping us think through and validate different components of our application. So whether it's how do we help them audit their pricing better? Uh, how do we help them manage their contracts better? How do we build, you know, workflow? I think one of the most interesting components of our technology is taking, we take products and service issues at the store level. Uh, a store manager can input something that says, hey, I've got a box of crushed cake, you know, crushed cups. I have some wilted lettuce. And we've built workflow that essentially moves that issue through to the distributor and the supplier and then helps the chain resolve that in, you know, either a matter of minutes or a matter of days. Uh, and then, and then it's taking all that information and that's ultimately what we're trying to get to. So we're, we start with aligning where the value components that supply chains are trying to solve for, right? What is, what's the most important thing a chain's trying to do? They're trying to buy the best product from, you know, the best partner, meaning that, you know, and that's different for everybody based on the specification. At the best price, they want to make sure the product's delivered on time uh, with the expected quality, right? So when you think about those five areas, that's what we're aligning to. And so we are now, so now you have to scale a team around people that understand the supply chain, um, you have to understand people that understand components of the technology, but mostly understand where customers need help, right? And I think that's, you know, scaling teams and finding the right salespeople and, and connecting with the C-suite um, involves all of that, right? You have to understand what are the pain points, what keeps you up at night, how can we help resolve those, or how can we help mitigate those challenges, um, but ultimately, it's beyond that. And I think that's what makes what we do very interesting. And I, Tony, you and I have talked about this. You know, I've had a philosophy for a long time called Partners for Life. And it is ultimately not what we do for you tactically today, but how do we put ourselves in place to help you in your journey? And the journey could be whether it's evolution of your supply chain, whether it's evolution of how you grow your brand, um, or whether it's us helping connect the dots with other technology partners that are out there, right? We want to be sitting in the middle of that for every customer and be the thought leaders and experts in what we do. So building a team around that, um, you know, look, we've been very, very fortunate in this industry to have great people uh, and finding people that have that tech background and food service background, but ultimately being able to tell the story is the key. And, you know, we've, we've had good success at that. What really stood out to me, just as you were describing that, is you're elevating out of the transaction. And I think that's the issue that so many salespeople and companies have is they, they think about transactions. And you've just elevated your purpose completely beyond that. For sure, yes. We, you know, look, it, we never want to be in a feature function um, battle. I think, you know, look, there's obviously technologies that are out that are like that. What I love about what Aerostream does is, is that aspect, right? We're aligning to business problems and challenges. So, yeah, don't get me wrong. Do we solve for the tactical stuff? Yes. We can identify that a contract's about to expire. We can identify that the pricing 
you know, is five cents too high or too low on this particular item, we can tell you you're about to run out of this particular product in three days. But ultimately, um, and, and I'm, you know, I can't take credit for this, but there was a CEO, and I think we talked about this early on, right? There was, a, there was a CEO that I have known for 20 years now, and she told me and, and her CFO ultimately said, look, there's only so much we can continue to squeeze out of our partners, and it's not fair to them. What we want for them to do is invest in our supply chain to understand the levers that really drive our business on how to cut out waste and inefficiencies, right? That is what we want, and it's the only way to improve the entire supply chain. Um, I love that philosophy because it's inviting people to participate in solving your your own problems, but it's it's for a larger cause because even though we have huge competitors all using our technology, I can tell you that they're all aligned on how do we improve the industry. And I think that is what is very cool and special about food service. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen under, in other industries. Obviously, I'm biased for food service. But that, you know, I've witnessed that. I see it. And I think that's, that's really special. If you're in an industry, though, where maybe that's not the norm to have the, the end customer work with you to create those kind of solutions, how would you even go about trying to, to get the customer to come along in that journey and be part of that solution. What, I mean, what advice would you have for someone who's maybe struggling in an industry that is just maybe not that open and transparent and, and collaborative? Yeah, I think, um, well, and listen, you know, food service wasn't always like that, right? I would say 15 or 20 years ago, it wasn't, um, there really wasn't a focus on transparency. I think collaboration has somewhat been in there, but it was more one-on-one relationships, right, based on your your trading partners. Um, you know, I think in its, this is where it gets tricky. I mean, I can only talk from a, or speak from a SaaS-based environment, right, where it's software. And I've been involved in a, in several different software companies, whether directly or tangentially through some advisory boards. But I think that um, I would actually say that if you're in the software business, uh, most customers, if you can align with the opportunity, you can align um, with a handful of customers that you're solving problems for, I've certainly in my experience, and I've done this at, you know, like I said, four different companies, you can always find customers that want to participate, right? Because at the end of the day, them helping you is actually going to help them. And I, and I can speak from experience just here at Airstream, right? When seven years ago, we just had a handful of customers. Um, and when we asked them to participate, we said, look, we, we want to make our solution better. But to do that, we need to grow. If you help us grow and by improving our solution, that's only going to help you because now you get the benefit of, of that learned combined, you know, community of input. And so now when we go into a new customer and we're mostly working with emerging brands and still some large customers that are transitioning out of legacy software applications and into, you know, more network applications like ours, the great thing is, is when we walk into a new customer, um, they're not having to recreate the wheel, right? And neither are we. So we go in and say, look, we have we have the experience of 250 brands similar to yours, right? Now, they there's always nuances within each customer. But at the end of the day, in our business, and I would probably say this is true for a lot of their businesses, 
is that 80 to 90% of what they're doing is the same, right? In our, in our customer base, they're trying, again, trying to buy the right product, right? Right flavor profile. They're trying to bring more customers in the door. They want to get it for the right price, make sure it's delivered and make sure that there's no quality issues within that product. Um, so, so in that context, there's a common goal to improve the data that ties all that together. And so for us, our customers participate. And like I said, it's very nice to see that even large competitors are in it for a bigger opportunity, right? Which is improving their supply chain, improving our technology, and ultimately improving their efficiencies and how they work together. I mean, it makes sense. They all have very similar buckets of value, as as you put it earlier. So you're you're not kind of scratching your head trying to figure out where the problems are. You really know where the problems are. You're just. It sounds like your expectation is to the new customers that we want you to come along and join us and help us because ultimately it just it helps you. And um, I, yeah, I just yeah. think that's a. I, I think that's a great message for businesses to to consider when they start working with new clients. And I'm just thinking, you know, how that could be applied to other businesses outside of software. In your perspective, as SaaS, and I and I can I can appreciate you focusing on that area. I was just trying to broaden it out, and I think that's just an exercise that people have to go through independently. But hearing you bring that up in such a way. It kind of forces you to think about your own business because not everybody's in SaaS. So we have to think, Correct. okay, how can we take that principle and apply it to our customers and tie them closer to us? It's not something we can do here on this podcast, but I think you've, you've raised a very, very interesting kind of uh, aspect of how your business is successful and, and why it's successful. I don't want to take you too far off track. So let's go back yep. to the the. Uh, the salesperson, okay, because that's another sure. that's the area of your expertise too. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're looking for, what you're expecting from these salespeople, because um, you've you've built a successful company, but it, but it comes through your salespeople. And I know you told me there are some challenges and some things that you you can't instill in them. They have to have these qualities and traits. So let's let's kind of transition into that. Yeah, I think, you know, and I know we've talked about instincts in the past, right? So, correct. you know, there are, um, I think, look, salespeople are an interesting, certainly an interesting breed. And I consider myself coming out of that. <laughs> an coming, interesting breed. We are. Yeah, coming out of that environment, um, I am fortunate and I am proud to call myself uh, a salesperson still at the end of the day, right? And And actually, I think, listen, in any company, uh, certainly with, you know, and with Aerostream, I think everybody should wear a sales hat, right? So, um, because that, that way you're all focused and you understand where the tip of the spear is and what drives every company. It's the passion for the customer. It's how you think about a customer. And if you have all those components working well together, then you ultimately can delight the, you know, the customer at the end of the day and, and provide a, a really unique experience. I think for specifically around salespeople, um, you know, there are transactional sales, there are uh, enterprise sales, there's consultative selling. I mean, there's all of that. I think, you know, every salesperson brings some unique talents. I think I look for people that understand where their skill sets are. And so as a, you know, as somebody that's led sales teams in the past, I'm 
I'm okay having salespeople that have different skill sets in different areas, right? You're going to have people that are really good at opening a door, building the relationship, and moving the sales process to a certain point. They may not have the strongest closing skills. There's other folks that um, are really strong closers, but the hard part is picking the phone and making the cold calls, right? Um, And so I think in any good sales organization, you have to look across your matrix of salespeople and decide, you know, to me, the first question is, are they hungry? Are they passionate about what they do? And do they care about ultimately the customer, right? Because I think that is what really shines through. Um, We're very transparent in our sales. We actually um, like to challenge customers because certainly in in technology um, and to build a scalable organization, you actually have to build something that's repeatable, right, on your technology. And so, uh, you know, every supply chain operates slightly different. And so you, even in our industry where we know, and with 250 customers on a solution like ours, we walk into a new customer and they say, yeah, but we do it a little bit differently. Um, so you have to know how to bridge those gaps, right? And I think going back to the salesperson, it's all about identifying and listening to what are the real challenges that a customer is having? Um, and I think on one of your podcasts, Tony, you know, I, I know that somebody had mentioned that, you know, you want to get to know as quickly as possible so you understand the objectives. And I think that's the key, right? So mm-hmm. for, for, for me, the way I look at salespeople is I, I, look, I tend to look at them individually on what their skill sets are. And then as a leader, what your goal should be is to insulate each of those salespeople in the right way, right? And whether that's through a solution consultant or sales engineer, right? There might They might need some help in the insulation and understanding the technology. Um, that Whether that's through an FBT team, a sales, you know, inside sales team of some type. Some people might need more uh, help on driving the inbound leads or outbound leads, right? So it's all about supporting them from a marketing perspective. Uh, and then some people, you know, at the end of the day, if they can get all the way then, they need help closing, then you have to recognize that you, you might need to have somebody that has that skill set too, right? So I guess I evaluate salespeople in, in kind of quadrants, right, of relationship building, uh, process understanding, uh, identifying the influencers, decision makers, and then ultimately closers. Um, and then if you have all of those and you can teach people your product in your industry, then, you know, you're, you should be in generally really good shape. Um, but again, it, in all my years of selling, every deal pops up something new. And that's why I said I'm still learning every day or every day, right? Especially in technology. And I think that's, I think that's the tricky part is we're not selling a widget. Um, you know, you, for what we do, because it's data, it's, it's very gray. Uh, so we're, we can't, you can't really describe the piece of data. You can describe the output and the outcomes. But again, as we all know, data moves, right? And data mm-hmm. has, um, there are things in data that don't necessarily align. So it's, that's what makes selling, you know, SaaS type applications challenging, which is why you got to, I think you have to go broad and find people with different skill sets in the sales team. Because while one person is good at one thing, another person is good at another, and you have to really take the best of those and then apply that to how you grow your, you know, your team and funnel. Well, something that's maybe a little confusing to me, and maybe you can kind of clear this up, but 
I guess it would depend on your compensation structure for the salespeople, but if you've got someone who doesn't close very well, then you have to bring someone else in to close. Doesn't that kind of muddy the ownership of the client? Yeah, that, I like mean, that's this. a good that's – no, that's actually a great question. Um, it, you know, it can. So I think that if – so we have something called uh, – we do something called bridging strategies, right? And so, again, it's part of as you build out a customer profile, you know, we work with our customers consistently to find out, like, are they influencers? Who's the decision maker? Are there, you know, boards that have to approve it? What's the budget cycle? Um, so when I talk about closing, again, this isn't a transactional type sale. So you're often at some point, uh, and we are selling into the C-suite, you're doing bridging strategies to that C-suite, right? So when I say close, I mean, we don't actually, um, I, I think there's influencing to close. And to me, that's where you have, you know, individuals in your organization, whether it's your CRO, whether it's your president, whether it's your CEO, that are essentially um, providing the right influence and assurance to the customer because with complex and, you know, high price tag solutions, that's what people want, right? They just want to make sure, look, am I, do I have enough coverage and do I have enough trust in this company? And I think that's something we've been really good at. Like we expose our, our company hierarchy very early on in a sales cycle, right? So you've got the sales team and it's a pursuit team concept where they're going in and they're, you know, Customers say, look, here's my, here's where my challenges are. Here's where my opportunities are. Do you guys align? We validate that. And then the bridging strategy comes in, which is where you, you try to reconnect with the C-suite and say, look, if there's anything we can do to help, please let us know. We are aware that you're working with our sales team, right? And I think those, like those things start to help. So when you get to the close, if there's hangups in a contract, if there's hangups in a negotiation, ultimately it comes down to trust. Um, and that's what I've, you know, I've always thought that. And, you know, we've had some, you know, in all my years of selling, you get to an end point where you have a customer say, well, this customer is, you know, why are you different than this particular vendor? And my answer really is you have to decide who you want to partner with because you can have the best software in the world, but if you pick the wrong partner, it can be devastating, right? And that has proven itself out time and time again. I just want to get clarification on something. You said bridging strategy. That's where the executives in AeroStream kind of airlift over to the executives of the prospect and fill in the gaps that possibly your your pursuit team needs help with? doesn't necessarily need help with. It's just saying, hey, we're aware. And that way, you know, look, whenever you're buying, a again, a, a multi-year solution, uh, you're picking a piece of software that's going to change the way you do business, ultimately the executive team is going to be involved in some of that decision, right? And so as you know, through any sales process, you don't always get access to the CEO of a large company um, as a sales team member, right? They're, they're usually delegating that to a senior VP, uh, uh, you know, a VP of supply chain, and they're saying, go find me this software, let's, you know, get me the proposal, and then let's get something put in place. So the bridging strategy is really aligning the senior executives in our company to say, hey, we're aware of this. If you have any questions, let me know. So it's not it's not closing, but it's just bridging. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, that's – and that may be very common, but that's yeah. not something that that 
Is, is that a common strategy, you believe? Um, you know, I think for us, I mean, we're very high touch with our customers. Um, so if you think about our I, I don't think it's an uncommon strategy. I can't really speak, you know, for people outside the industry. I know it's something that we've done um, in multiple companies that we've had. I mean, look, our engagement level at the customer level, at the customer side is very high, right? So we're always, um, to me, like beyond the software and the value that it provides, there's always going to be renewal. And to me, the bridging strategy starts at the beginning of the sales cycle, but then it never ends, right? You always want to have those connections because at some point a contract's going to come up for renewal. And you don't want it to hinge on, you know, the last three years. You want it to hinge on the value drivers and the relationships that you build and the engagement and trust level you have at the senior executive level. Uh, and not just that, but actually down through the organization uh, and anybody that's leveraging your solutions. So that's that's a just a strategy that we've deployed for years and years on that goes beyond the initial call. Sometimes a company does something so innately that to them it's normal and it's common, but it might not be, you know, outside the organization. Well, you and I, we, we spoke ahead of time and, you know, we don't go into these podcasts cold, you know, it's not your day job. It's not my day job. So we, we do kind of plan a little bit in advance and it's starting to make sense. You made a comment to me. You said you push every day to stay in touch with customers. And I think that's this is the reason why, because you are selling a very complicated solution that is going to affect the entire organization. So I think that's something that you look for in your salespeople. People, the salespeople who are creative and understand, they have to find new creative ways to stay in touch with the customer. Yeah, and especially today, right? Everybody's inundated with emails and uh, Zoom calls and, you know, uh, everybody's inundated, including our own, you know, myself. I mean, I'm always, you know, we always get pitches to look at new products. And so I think it's a matter of, you know, really just how, how, what do you bring to the table as a salesperson that makes you unique? Um, and again, you know, to me, it's, it's, you can teach the process, you can teach, you know, strategy around that. Um, you know, to me, it comes back to some of it, it's just instinct, right? And I think that, you know, talent, look, talent manifests itself in many ways. Um, I'm, I've always been impressed with people that become legends in their own discipline, but I will say that I'm equally amazed at how people can move from position to position and excel in each of those instances, right? I mean, uh, one of those areas that continues to interest me is around instincts and that's in every position, right? Instincts are required. Uh, and they can change everything if you leverage them the right way. And so for me, I do look for, does, do salespeople have that instinctual component? I think it's an area of interest that, you know, something that can be inherent, but it also will be taught. You know, if you think about, um, car, you know, sports or racing cars or flying planes, rock climbing, you know, those are people always refer to those things as you have to have instincts around that. I think in sales, it's the same. You have to have instincts around understanding a sales environment, um, what your customer's real objections are. They might be telling you one thing, but the challenge or the objection might be something else. And so again, yes, the old just, red herring. Well, or they don't necessarily know, right? We often get, uh, we often get, well, here's my problem. But then we ask, well, what, what's the business challenge you're trying to solve for, right? We don't, we don't need to make the button red on the application just because it's, you know, 
that might highlight something. What problem are you trying to solve for, right? And I think that's we always come at it in a in a slightly different way. And I think if you have, you know, as a salesperson, those are the angles, and that that's where I tie the instinct part in, right? Which is, um, you know, and we're fortunate in our industry. We know that you know if somebody's not leveraging a solution, there's probably some complexity within how they manage their data. So it's understanding, you know, what are their needs, what are the opportunities, and ultimately, you know, do they want to run their business based off of intelligence. You've got to break this down a little more, though, so people can understand how do you identify instincts? I, I, I It makes perfect sense. When you mentioned to me the first time, it was like, mm-hmm. of course, of course, but you're sitting across the table from someone and you're interviewing them. What's How do you pull that out without telegraphing the question so they can just, you know, make up something or say, Oh yeah, of course I've got instincts. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, for us, it is obviously looking for me specifically, it is how do they sequence a sales cycle and from beginning to end. And I, if you ask for, you know, different scenarios, if you're interviewing somebody and I always ask, you know, what, what was, what were two of your best sales, best being different than what were two of your hardest sales? And then I always give an, then I always like to know what was a sale that you lost and why, and what would you do differently? And I think through, through those, if, if you have somebody that can walk through, because if you've truly been selling, you will have those examples. And believe me, they are at the front of your brain because they, that those stay with you every day, if that makes sense, right? Because you're walking in, you're walking into every scenario, going, "What were the best things I've done? What were the hardest things I've come up against? And where did something go off track, and I couldn't recover it? And how do I not do that today?" <laughs> so I think for me, just personally, like those those are really good indicators right there. Now, again, you never really know. I think that's always the challenge with sales. I mean, look, I, I think. Finding great salespeople, good salespeople, it's hard. And it's not always because of the salespeople. Sometimes it could be the environment you're selling in. Sometimes it could be what you're selling. Um, certainly last year had a huge impact on a lot of companies. And you had phenomenal salespeople that had just crushed it, uh, you know, years and years before that all of a sudden struggled last year, right? And that was way outside of their control. So I think, you know, you got to, you got to take all that in context. And so it'll be an interesting year, but I do think, you know, there's, those are, those are three areas that help me. Well, as we wrap up, I, I would be remiss if we didn't discuss a superpower, something that you do that enables you to win at work. I know it's, it's kind of this ongoing theme that we've had on the podcast, but what is it that has enabled you to reach the level of success that you have reached? You've obviously helped four companies sell, and so you're doing something as well. So what's been your your secret sauce? Yeah, that's no, that's a great question. So I, I'm not sure about superpowers, but definitely I've had the opportunity to work with some of the most amazing people, I think, in the industry. And obviously in companies, you know, like General Electric and Airstream, um, that has helped. So I, I think what I think is truly special about almost everyone I've encountered, I think, in my career is that first, they're passionate about what they're doing, and second, they never quit. Um, in supply chain, it's it's a never-ending wheel of innovation, technology, challenges that are so nuanced that every day is a learning day, right? So 
the superpowers or the win at work is, you know, really, in my opinion, just allowing everyone to contribute to a company and customer success. Um, everyone, and I broad brush this a little bit, but I, I just, like, I get up every day and am passionate about work. Not everybody's going to do that, but I implore people to do that because I think that's, like, that is the superpower. Um, that's what makes companies become so that are average become something special. And certainly in the world of food service, we really see that and get to, you know, as, as a benefit of tasting food and experiencing food. And that's magical. So we're in an industry where not only can we combine some really cool technology, but we're working with something that is experiential with people, right? And if you think about food, you know, whether you're in a quiet corner by yourself or gathering with family, friends, or even strangers, um, within the boundaries of running a company, you have to enable those people to participate to find, you know, that common thread that ties the mission and aligning with customers. And to me, that's, that's the win part and how you, you know, get everybody aligned. And hopefully that's, you know, aligns with maybe what a superpower is, is, is having everybody oriented towards the same North star. Companies have to hire. They have to look for that. It is very difficult to find that. And that's one of the reasons why I like working in, in food service and with food brands, because you can identify these passionate people that go above and beyond. And speaking of going above and beyond, do, do you remember that quote you used with me? You, you didn't use it today, and I was hoping I'd hear it from you. So I'm setting you up. Here's the the big close. So let's let's hear it. I love this um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I this think should be you, a mantra for everybody, really. Yeah, I think you would ask me, you know, what, you know, what kind of my leadership philosophy, and I've, I've got three things, right? Love, you know, love what you do, um, and I know that's hard, even in the best job. I still believe work hard, right? There are a lot of people depending on you, and remember, there are no traffic jams on the extra mile. There it is. <laughs> there are no traffic jams on the extra mile. I love it, Jeff. I took notes this entire time. I have like two pages of notes. So I hope everyone got a lot out of that. So is there anything in particular that you guys are uh, hiring for? We can kind of maybe get a, get the word out through the podcast as they hear this. Are you looking for salespeople or account managers, anything that? Sure. No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, we, we continue to grow. And so I think we are always looking for talented people. Uh, we are, we absolutely are right now looking for a, an account manager to help uh, manage some of our operator business. So we're doing that. Uh, I know that's on the docket right now. So if there's anybody out there that has really good account management experience uh, and is maybe even better if they're tied to technology and food service, I would absolutely, uh, you know, ask them to reach out to you and, and we should connect. Um, we continue to look for salespeople. I mean, we've got a, a pretty well built out team, but I think there's always amazing talent. And I think that's what we look for per, first. If we're looking to hire, we want to find good people and we may not always have the position available, but we find somebody really good. We want to get them in the queue because we want to make a space for that person. I mean, I think that's, that's what we're about is finding, you know, the best people we can that are thought leaders, passionate, and, you know, want to contribute to a really cool industry and a, and a very nice technology. If people want to follow you, obviously they can find you on LinkedIn. I'll put a, a tag for you in the, in the show notes. 
Are you on, is AeroStream or you, are you on, on any other socials or is LinkedIn really the best place? Yeah, LinkedIn for myself, AeroStream uh, has uh, multiple areas to follow, I believe. Um, uh, I know we're on LinkedIn and we've got, you know, several other social media sites that, that we're tagged to. Okay, so they can get to the website and find all those other areas to, to follow and see all the great innovation. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. This uh, very, very insightful. I hope everyone got as much out of it as I did. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate the time today.